So uh, I want to think for a moment about whether you upset anyone or not. And uh, see, I was thinking about this, that some of us think that, that, that everybody hates us and that we upset everybody. Others of us live in a slightly deluded world where we think we don't upset anybody. The reality is that we get to a point in, in life where you realize, and it's a very painful realization, isn't it? You get to the point where you realize, some people don't like me. And it's hard to take on board. And um, I want to, to just ponder that for a few moments. Why might, there be, I mean, why might people not like us? And I was thinking about why people might not like me, or more to the point, why do I upset people? And I know that you could write a list, a very, very long list, and there are loads of different, and loads of different experiences where I have upset people. Um, but I was thinking about a few of the, the, the reasons. If you, what, if you did subscribe to our, our you, what is it, email. If you do subscribe to our email, and you did click the link, then you may well have been upset at the thought of me wearing pants on my head in church. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to subscribe to the email, and then and you need to read it, and you click on things, and you'll find all kinds of disturbing things that will keep you awake at night. More, slightly more seriously, I've discovered on Friday, the, the staff and elders, we went away for the day. Uh, we didn't go very far, we just went to Duke Street. But time, <laughs> times are hard and we're trying to economize. Um, and we, in the morning, I wanted to just lead us through a time of reflection and prayer. And I, some of you will know that I find silence disturbing. Not because I like silence, I just don't like listening to people cough or shuffle, or, or, or sniffle, and so, because silence is never silence, I always think we should have a bit of music on. So I said, we're just going to be, I had some questions for them, I said, we're going to, I just want you to reflect on this question, and I'm just going to put some music on that I've chosen, and within 30 seconds, they all said, could you turn your music off? <laughs> and I have discovered that my music upsets people. And I thought it was reflective and quiet and spiritual, but apparently it was irritating. More seriously, I am so aware of upsetting people because of what I would call dropping the ball, because I'm juggling so many things that some things get forgotten, some things don't happen as quickly as they ought to happen, some conversations I forget, and I'm just aware that so many times I just quite quite get it right. And, and there are always casualties, and I hate upsetting people. I really find it very difficult. And then even more than that, I'm aware that I'm very, very grumpy in the morning, and that I'm not a, a very Christ-like person first thing in the morning. And that has implications if you come at 8 o'clock for our Sunday morning call to prayer, and if you meet me in the staff meetings first thing in the morning where I'm afraid the joy of the Lord isn't, is very deeply hidden at times. I'm just not a morning person. And particularly, I'm aware that I am very grumpy before I have to speak in the morning. So, uh, the, 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 and I think I might have told you this before, but the year before we had our leaders uh, away, 
time, and we were thinking about welcome, because welcome is such an important part of our church's life, how we make people feel welcome. And we know that there are times when we get it right, but there are loads of times when we get it wrong. And you may well have felt unwelcome. Maybe I felt unwelcome tonight, because there's always folks coming in, visitors among us, and we don't necessarily know. And we, so we were having a discussion about how we, could, how we could make the welcome of the church better. And I need to tell you, my closest colleagues... The people who work with me day in, day out, their first suggestion on the bullet points of how do we help the welcome of the church was to put me in the back room before a service (laughs) because I get so nervous before church and I get very abrupt and I get agitated about things and I panic over this, that, and I wander around, can we do this, can we do that? And I can be rude and officious and I'm just not very good before, because nerves get the better of me. I wonder what your list would be. What is it that you recognize in yourself other people find difficult? If you're sitting there thinking, nothing on my list, I am so easy to get on with. There's a verse in the Bible that says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. All of us will be difficult to live with for some people. Now, fortunately, in my family, for example, all of us are bad in the morning, so we just don't talk to each other, and it's fine. (laughs) But one of the things my family do tell me is, and in fact, a lot of people tell me this, is that I can express opinions in a very strong and dogmatic way. Even when I think I'm just flying a kite, it sounds like nobody can dare disagree with me. And so I'm aware that I tend to express my views very strongly. And that can be difficult. It can be difficult. I think I can learn, I think I'm learning from people and I'm hearing different points of view and I really value different points of view, genuinely do. But often the way my mouth works is it doesn't sound like that. It sounds like I've already made up my mind and I know what I think. How do we become people who are aware of what we do that upsets people. And if we're going to upset people, can we upset them for good reasons rather than bad reasons? Uh, Dilbert's boss says, a good leader has to be willing to be disliked. And Dilbert says, well, you must be a great leader. (laughs) (laughs) And Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Now, what does this mean? I sometimes get distressed over Christians who will say, whenever they do something that's bad and and people object to it, they say, oh, well, Jesus was hated. So is this a license to be unpleasant? What does it mean to be hated by the world? This comes in the context of what we've looked at before in recent weeks, where we talked about remaining in God's love. These are all available as podcasts, they're available as videos. Um, I've been chuntering through John's gospel for years. I've gone through it with a magnifying glass, verse by verse. But the recent ones you can find, well, they're all there, uh, blocking and filling the internet. But uh, you can have a look at these things. We talked about uh, the command of Jesus to love like him and how that helps us remain in his love and how that helps us find a complete joy. And that led us on to last week looking at uh, choice and how God has chosen the 12. Jesus says, I cho- you did not choose me, but I chose you. And that's where we get this very next verse. If the world hates you, keep in mind 
that it hated me first, says Jesus. In other words, if we are going to follow Jesus, there is a distinct, a real, even a probability that some people will not like us because of our faith. So we're going to ask some questions. What is the world? Why might the world hate Christ followers? And how do we handle hatred? So let's do the straightforward question. What is the world? What does he do? John's gospel uses the word quite a lot. It quotes Jesus quite a lot of times saying the world. And sometimes in the Bible, the world means the earth, the planet. Uh, but it tends not to in John. Uh, more often uh, in the New Testament, the world means the values of this world that are opposed to God's values. In other words, the values of self-centeredness, the values of unlove, the value uh, of uh, dispensing with God. And these are the values that will not be in heaven. So the world, if you like, is the opposite to heaven. The kingdom of heaven is driving out the world. And then, as we see here, it is often, and most in John, it is the, the, the humanity that love this world's ungodly values, that have chosen to side with it. So if you imagine the sort of two groups of people, there are those who are, are seeking to, to uh, be part of the kingdom of God, who are seeking to have God as their king, who are seeking to do God's things in God's ways. And then there's another group of people who are those who do not want to have the kingdom of God. They want to follow the world and live a life that's self Centered, puts themselves or other humans on the throne. And the world are the people who are, not, who are part of that. And that's what's uh, most likely is what Jesus is meaning here. But a little bit of theological thing for those of you who like theological things, just a little bit of a journey here. It's quite interesting. I said that Jesus uses this phrase a lot. And we get a lot of uh, ideas about the world from John's gospel already. We discover that Jesus entered into the world deliberately. He comes into the world. That's what he says at the beginning of John's gospel. Uh, but the world does not recognize Jesus. He comes to it, the world, and the world says, we don't want you. He says that uh, Jesus came into the world to take away the sin of the world. That's what John the Baptist says to Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. We discover really powerfully that the world is loved by God. John 3.16, some of you will heard of that verse. For God so loved the world. So this world that is opposed to God, these values, these people who have chosen a different kingdom are deeply loved by Jesus, so much so that he comes into it. He's born at Christmas into a stable, into the mess and the dirt of it. He comes to this world, but they don't recognize him. They don't accept him, and they reject him. But he comes to save them. He's come to rescue this world. This world matters. Uh, even though he says that it's ruled by Satan. So you've got the kingdom of God and you have the ruler of this earth, the ruler of the world, Satan. So that's what we're talking about. And it's this concept, these people, this group, this idea that may hate those of us who follow Jesus. So why might the world hate Christ followers? And how do we handle hatred? When I put this next cartoon up in the morning, I was suddenly taken about because, see, a lot of my cartoons are, are about Dilbert. There's nobody in the church called Dilbert. Well, not that I know of. 
some of my cartoons are about Snoopy. None of you are called Snoopy. Some of my cartoons are about Charlie Brown, as long as I say Charlie Brown, doesn't it? This next cartoon is simply about somebody called Roger. And the moment I said it, I realized there's Rogers in the church. So I apologize to all of you called Roger. Uh, but no one particularly liked Roger. This is a reference to a verse in the Bible about having a log in our own eye and criticizing the speck in others. If we took a little straw poll and we went out into the, into the community and we said, what is the thing that you find most difficult about Christianity or about Christians or about the church? If we'd have done it 25 years ago, they would instantly, word association, they would have said hypocrite. Because our reputation was hypocrites. We said one thing and did another. The good news is that is no longer the thing that we're most uh, criticized for. Not because we're no longer hypocrites. We're still hypocrites. We just do something worse. I think most of you know what they would say. Judgmental. Which is a form of hypocrisy. But it's just a very specific form. Our reputation and the reason why many Christians are hated is because we are not only perceived, but in actual reality, quite often judgmental. But if we're going to be hated, let's be hated for good reasons, not for bad reasons. Why might the world hate those who follow Christ? Choosing to follow Jesus unsettles the certainty that others have that there is no God. And that makes people a bit on edge. They've got their whole life sorted out. There is no God. They can do what they like and then build their barns, live the way they want, have their own morals, have their own values, and everything's fine. And then suddenly they're confronted with this person who is serving and seeking to live by another God. And it unsettles certainty. It irritates pride. It irritates the, the folks who feel good enough to be confronted with people who talk about grace and humility and repentance. It confronts selfishness. Because everybody thinks they're a good person until you meet Jesus. And then you realize, I am not a good person. And it exposes unlove. That when we meet people who are seeking to be like Jesus, it unsettles and makes those who want to live selfish lives uncomfortable. And at times it will oppose injustice. So what does this look like? And uh, I wanted to just draw two passages of Scripture to kind of describe what a disciple is. The first is something that Jesus says. Uh, he says, I, he, he defines how you would know anybody's a follower. He says, he defines how he would follow him. And I was telling the morning congregation that in the, the churchmanship that I became a Christian into, this passage was never looked at. It was always avoided. It was always avoided because the churchmanship that I grew up with, what mattered was what you believed. And this passage appears to say that what matters is what you do. And they were so completely terrified of the social gospel or good works that literally we never talked about this passage. Because it is scary, because he says to the people who do not feed the hungry, he says to the people who do not welcome the stranger, he says to the people who do not provide clothes for those who are naked, he says, I don't know who you are. Because what he is saying is that when Jesus comes into our lives, when we invite him by his Holy Spirit to fill us, this is what he will create within us. And if this isn't created in us, he hasn't come in. 
And that's linked to what Paul talks when he talks about what the fruit, the evidence of the Spirit of God being within us looks like. What does that look like? And he talks about the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I want to put these two things together, and I just want to briefly say, look, if we're going to be hated, let's be hated for being like Jesus, not for being like the opposite of Jesus. So what does that mean? It means fundamentally that if we're going to be hated, let's be hated because we care and act out of love rather than because we're apathetic. If Sutton Coldfield Baptist Church is is to be hated, let us be hated because we have a food bank and because without judgment, we seek to feed those who are hungry. Let us be hated for being do-gooders. Let us not be hated for being do-nothingers. Let us not be hated because we don't do anything to care. And that applies to our individual lives. That if we are people who reach out and, and help those in need, that will upset the people who don't want to help people in need. But that is far better than being people who are known for being hypocritically apathetic and do nothing for anyone in need. So if we're going to be hated, let's be hated for actions of care, not apathy. Let's be hated for gratitude, not complaint. Through the Spirit is joy. We have a choice as to whether to be grateful people or angry people or complaining people. We have a choice as to whether we give thanks for what God has done in our life or whether we complain about what hasn't yet happened. We had a picnic this afternoon in the rain and we give thanks that the grass is greener this afternoon or we complain that we got wet. Let us be known, let us irritate people because we are grateful, not because we moan, not because we complain not because we're grumblers. If we're going to be hated, let's hate because we do what Jesus did, not because we're like the world. Peacemakers. If we are going to be hated, let us be hated because we try to bring people together, because we try to create peace, because we try to reconcile, because we try to understand both sides, because we refuse to take one side against the other in the family, in the workplace, in the community, in politics because we want to bring people together rather than push people apart. Let us be hated because we irritate people who want division, who want polarization, who want everyone to agree with them. Let us irritate like heck the people who want conflict because we are people who want peace. Let us be people who are patient, who react with compassion rather than judgment when we see people getting it wrong, when people hurt us, when people do things that are difficult, that we don't agree with, that we wish they would change, for we believe in a God who is fundamentally patient and who invites us to visit those who are in prison rather than to shun them, lock lock them away and throw the key away. Let us be hated because we are compassionate. Please let us not be hated because we are judgmental, because we have decided who we don't agree with and we're putting them in a box and that box means they can't come out of it until they've changed. God is patient, waiting. Let us be people who are patient. 
Let us not be hated because we are judgmental. Let us be hated because we are compassionate. If we're going to be hated, let us be hated because we share rather than hoard, because we challenge people who have bigger bank balances and bigger houses and better cars and the newest phones because we still got our old phone and our old car and our smaller house and our worn-out carpet because we've decided to give 10, 15, 25% of what we have away because we feed the hungry, because we care for the poor, because we're involved in supporting mission all over the world. Let us be people who hate, who cause hate because we share, not because we hoard, because we keep it for ourselves and because we want what we want first. Let us be people who are hated because we included, because we welcome the stranger. Jesus says the people who didn't welcome the stranger, the people who didn't talk to somebody they didn't know, the people who made the person that was strange feel uncomfortable and that they didn't belong. He says, I don't even know who you are. But if we're going to be hated, let us be hated because we are people who welcome, because we welcome the refugees. Let us be hated because we've got an open door that says you're welcome here. And whatever it is that you're fleeing from and whatever danger it is that you've been put in, whatever injustice you've experienced, we want to be a refuge. Let us be hated because we include rather than divide, because we don't want to push people away. If we're going to be hated, let us be hated because we speak truth, not what people want to hear. Maybe that's a bit of a stretch from goodness. But frankly, we've had too much politics of politicians telling us, telling people what they think the people want to hear rather than what was actually true. And let us be people who speak truth, not what everybody wants to be true. Let us be people who are faithful, who stick to our word, who stick to our promises, we do not abandon. We stay in relationships. And maybe that will f make other people feel uncomfortable because relationships come and go. And maybe a faithfulness is something that's old-fashioned and we will be hated for it, but let's be hated because we are faithful, not because we abandoned. And if we are faithful, if we are, are, are not to be hated, if we are to be hated, let us be hated because we forgive rather than because we want revenge. Let us be hated because like Jesus on the cross, we say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And you saw the anger of the people around the cross saying, if you're God, come down. And, and, he, and forgiveness really does irritate people. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Let us be hated, not because we go with the flow, but because we're self-controlled. We don't go along with the crowd. We don't drink as much as everybody else. We don't go out with the lads when all the lads go out. We're the, the party pooper who stops. Let us be people who are hated for restraint, not for indulgence. And if we do these things, we will unsettle people who are certain that their lifestyle is right. We will irritate those that we will cause who have a pride of living away without God. 
and we will expose unlove and we will confront selfishness and we will oppose injustice. So how then, finally, do we handle hatred? One of the things I also know that people, uh, that I upset people with is my cartoons. Um, this one may upset folks, I apologize. Character is how you act when no one is watching. Wallace says, now you tell me. Now you tell us. He says, I thought you were my role model, but now I learn that you do all of your good stuff when no one is looking. Let us not be people who say, you, the good things that you do, none of us can see. It all makes sense now, because whenever I watch you do anything, it sort of looks dumb. <laughs> Let us not be people who, when they look at us, go, I can't. You say Jesus is this, but when I look at you, that's dumb. Let us be hated for the reasons Jesus was hated, not because we're way off being. And I take your word for it, that you're awesome when no one is looking. I don't know whether you're awesome when no one is looking. And then Dilbert says, do you want to know what I do when no one is looking? And he says, I really, really do not. And Wally says, I call it character. What are we when no one is looking? And what do people see in us? Let's be hated for the right reasons. The next verse says, if you belong to the world, Jesus says, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Look, I've chosen you to have a different agenda. I've chosen you to come out and do this for me. I've chosen you to be my people to serve me in this way. I've chosen you to be people who love like I do. I've chosen you to be a people of instruments who have good news to the poor, who bind up the brokenhearted, who set the prisons free. I've chosen you to be the people to feed the hungry, that, that um, welcome the stranger, because you belong to me. So, how do we handle hatred? We remind ourselves who we belong to. What does that mean? Firstly, that our value is not from what other people think of us. There are going to be people who don't like us. Our value is not from them. Our value is from the one who gave his life for us, the one who's called us, the one who's paid the blood of Christ for us. If our value comes from whether people like us, we're never going to feel valued. We're always going to feel not good enough. Our value needs to come from the one we belong to. And then when other people like us, it's a bonus. Remind ourselves who we belong to and remind ourselves of his expectation of us. He's called us to be something. He's called us to be uh, loving like him. And therefore we know our purpose. And our purpose, when our purpose is to love, we're not distracted or, or defeated by those who don't want us to love. And we remember our role model who turned the other cheek and invited us to turn the other cheek. He gave his life was a ransom for many, came to seek and to save. And we remember our destiny because we belong to Jesus. We will be in that kingdom of heaven where the, 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 the world's values will be left behind, where there is no more sorrow, no more tears, no more mourning, no more pain, 
The old order of things has passed away. That's our destiny. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. And we fix our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. We fix our eyes on Jesus, our role model, our purpose. And there will be people that don't like it. But there'll be many people who are drawn to Christ because of it. There'll be many people who go, who, who uh, as uh, Paul says, see our good works and give thanks to God. And we will receive our reward in heaven. Noah's going to come and join me. A couple of questions for us to reflect on. Firstly, where do we need, to need God's strength because we are upsetting people by living Christ's way. Where is it hard to be truthful? Where is it hard to be inclusive? Where is it hard to be peacemaking? Where is it hard to be self-control? Where is it hard to be faithful? Where is it hard? Let's ask for God's help. And secondly, where do we need forgiveness for upsetting people because we're too like the world? And actually, the reason they hate us isn't because we're like Jesus. It's because, frankly, we're not that pleasant. And Jesus, we say to you, Lord, will you change us? Will you have mercy? Let's ponder those questions together for a moment. Would you stand? Just quietly, let's bring our prayer to him for strength or for mercy, but probably for both. Father, we bring to you those times when we're aware that living for you is difficult and it upsets other people and it challenges other people and... We can't understand it, but they seem to dislike or hate us following you. Lord, we bring those moments to you and we ask for your strength. Where we are excluded or ridiculed or marginalized or put down or criticized, we bring it to you and lay that pain before you and ask for the strength to carry on as a disciple. And Lord, where we're aware that we've upset people through our own sinfulness because we behaved in an unchristlike way, Lord, have mercy. Help us to put that right. Will you transform us by your spirit and bring healing? Lord, we choose now to follow you. We choose now to sign up once again to be your disciple. For our desire is to honor you. And our desire is to follow you. With all of our hearts, we worship you.